Welcome to another episode of Pour Another Round, where we're here to discover and share the stories behind the breweries filling up your glass. Last week, we had a great time chatting with a brewery from your hometown of La Crosse, Wisconsin, Jonathan. Let me back up there and apologize. I should say near your hometown. (laughs) I don't want to offend any of those West Salem folks over there. But this episode, we're chatting with a brewery near where you currently live. That's right. We enjoyed a conversation with Kevin Abercrombie from the Lone Girl Brewing Company in Wanakee, Wisconsin. And you know, that is the only Wanakee in the world. That is what it says on their community welcome sign. Do you think they actually checked, or is this one of those self-proclaimed facts that everyone just kind of takes as accurate? I'm guessing they did their homework. And you know who else did their homework? Kevin Abercrombie, owner and operator of Lone Girl. Kevin talks about the hundreds of names he and his business partner, Kaz, went through before deciding on the Lone Girl Brewing Company. All right, I have a confession. Oh, no. I have a shirt from Lone Girl with their logo of a silhouette of a beautiful woman across the front, and I love that shirt. But every time I put it on, I wonder who the hottie is. Yeah, I was gonna ask Kevin who the sexy model was, but then... (laughs) We found out Lone Girl Brewing was named after his daughter, so I really dodged a bullet there. I don't think you're allowed to wear that shirt again. (laughs) Anyway, Kevin also talks about how he and Kaz met while going to school in Chicago. They moved to Wanakee and opened the brewery, and Kevin's goal was to completely immerse himself into the community, so he was no longer known as that guy from Chicago, but rather accepted as the guy from Wanakee. It sounds like he's successfully accomplished that, especially as he was and is constantly finding ways to give back to his community through COVID. But he does still hold on to one thing from Chicago. Thank you very much. Don't even say it. Yes. Kevin is a fan of Malort. No, I believe he said it was horribly delicious. That is very different than being a fan. You just really got to stop fighting it. So, Kevin, from Chicago, married a girl from Wisconsin. When they were in the process of opening Lone Girl, as any respectable Wisconsin woman, she made damn sure they made a fantastic fish fry. And they sure do. I think another reason I love so much of their food is probably because it sounds like a lot of it is made with their beer. And that sounds like it would definitely help. So on that note... Grab your own beer and pour yourself around and enjoy our conversation with Kevin Abercrombie from the Lone Girl Brewing Company in Wanakee, Wisconsin. And that's the only Wanakee in the world. Who doesn't love a good beer special? With Real Craft Pass, you can get two-for-one beers at more than 120 Wisconsin breweries. That's buy one beer and pour another round for free. This is Wisconsin's biggest buy-one-get-one brewery booklet. And guess what? What? Pour Another Round listeners can get 10% off any Real Craft Pass booklet. Just use the code Pour Another Round at realcraftpass.com. That's real with two E's, like a fishing reel. Not only is there over $800 in savings at Wisconsin breweries, but craft passes are also available for other states like Michigan, Idaho, Wyoming, Montana, and New Hampshire. Just visit realcraftpass.com and at checkout, use the promo code pour another round i'm cameron and i'm jonathan and we, we like, like beer. beer 
Some of the best stories start with beer, but now it's time to make beer the story. Pour another round and drink with us as we explore the stories behind your favorite beers and breweries. Today we're sharing a round with the Lone Girl Brewing Company located in Wanakee, Wisconsin, and are joined by none other than the owner and operator, Kevin Abercrombie. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thanks for being with us. Hey, everybody. How you doing? So, Kevin, this is Cameron. Hey, Cameron. Love the pink shirt, man. Thank you. Yeah, we're, uh, he's sporting his shirt. I've got my Lone Girl hat on. We're, nice. we're sporting you well today. Nice. Thanks, guys. Not only that, also drinking your stuff, so. There you go. Yeah, me too. <laughs> all, all is well. Yeah. Thanks for being patient with me with setting all of this up, by the way. Yeah, of course. We appreciate you getting us some beer and uh, taking some time to, to be with us today, too. And it sounds good. I, I reread all of the rules, and, and we're supposed to have two beers. I've, I've got four in front of me. Some, you've got some there with you. We'll do whatever you'd like to do. We appreciate you being an overachiever. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kevin, uh, let's, let's start way back at the very beginning. You, you grew up in the Chicagoland area. Your co-founder, Paul Kozlowski, Koz, as he's affectionately known, grew yeah. up in Ohio. What brought the two of you to the only Wanakee in the world to open up Lone Girl Brewing? Uh, kind of a, a flip-flop of our, of our lives, to be quite honest. Kaz and I met in college. We both attended the Illinois Institute of Technology. Uh, he studied architecture, which he still practices today. Uh, I studied industrial design, which I'm pretty sure I still practice today because <laughs> I do <laughs> those things now. But uh, he grew up in a small town. I grew up in a big city. He still lives in the big city, and I moved to a small town. He and I have been friends, obviously, since college. Uh, we're, we're 26 years past that at this point um, and just got off a four-hour conversation earlier today. So clearly, we still stay in, in very good touch. But uh, after college, kind of got the idea rolling between the two of us about solidifying some of our business ideas uh, to work together as partners. Truthfully, a lot of that was centered around some opportunities in Chicago back around 2010, 2011. We'd meet late night, brainstorm on some ideas, and uh, I had moved up to Wanakee in 2010. Primary reason being uh, I, I had just been graced with twins uh, in addition to my year-and-a-half-year-old daughter. So uh, the two-bedroom condo in Chicago got, got real tight real quick. Got a little small for you. <laughs> yes, yes. I still remember, remember and not remember. There, there are people that ask what I kind of find to be a silly question, they'll say like, how did you do it? And they're like, well, I, they're kids. I don't know how you not do it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Things go really poorly if you don't do it. But, uh, you know, my, my wife is from the Stevens Point area, Wisconsin Rapids to be specific. And, and both of her parents are and have been uh, back then and, and still are very uh, involved in the kids' lives. Boys tend to move towards the wives' parents. That's kind of how it works. Mm -hmm. uh, the girls come home, the boys stay away. And uh, I didn't mind getting out of Chicago. I'd been there my whole life. And it, it's a wonderful, busy, big city. But uh, I craved to get out and see cornfields and space and stars and things that I, that I never really saw except for vacation. So uh, we moved up to Wanakee, not really thinking about, hey, let's start this, this brew pub up here. It was still well ingrained. And the, the next 10 years of my life was traveling back and forth to the city of Chicago uh, to run the business that I, that I currently at that time owned and operated and maybe expand on those ideas. As I got further and further into the Wanakee community, I realized that I think there was an opportunity here to, to create something uh, that would work quite well. Uh, it, was, it was a bit of a, of a 
of a pitch. I mean, I, I literally remember we're 75% of the way into a business idea in Chicago. And I'm like, and how about we take some of those things and apply it to a brew pub in a town of 12,000 people? Um, <laughs> well, we I, appreciate you doing so. <laughs> thanks. Had I not proposed that to somebody who grew up in a town about this size, they probably would have told me I was insane. But, uh, you know, convinced Kaz to come up this way. And one of the first things we did was, was just count cars that went by the front of the building. This is the old Coltez lumber site, right? So mm-hmm. it sat vacant here for the first two years that I had lived in Wanakee. And uh, we just counted cars, you know, and, and sat there in, in just the traffic that was involved in going through. And it was almost 20,000 in a day. You know, you did your extrapolations mathematically. Um, you sit there for 30 minutes and you count cars and then you just keep going forward. So it seemed like the traffic was here. It seemed like the town was building enough. It seemed like it could use something in addition to a well-established supper club, a well-established couple of uh, local bars, rowing population that was a bit of a bedroom community to Madison that could use a casual upscale style restaurant slash brew pub. And uh, away we went. Well, you guessed right on on Wanaki being a growing community. Is it has has certainly um, kind of exploded in, in population the last few years and just continued to grow outward toward its neighboring communities too. Absolutely, yep. So tell us, I I love the story about about where the name Lone Girl came from too. And so tell us about um, how you came to to calling your brew pub the Lone Girl. The story goes like this, and again, I, I'll reiterate that Cos and I had a ton of late night meetings and, and we would task each other with homework to come back for if it was a couple of days later or a week later whenever we could get together one of those tasks was we're starting to actually put this business plan together and create something at least on paper we we need to call it something so he had to come up with 100 names and i had to come up with 100 names <laughs> and, and then we we switched when we got together didn't discuss them at all went through and circled the names that we liked and then got together. He picked 10, I picked 10, and we discussed, all right, here's the hows and the whys behind those names. A lot of my names focused on what this business would become and who it would become something to in time. Meaning, we're going to put an awful lot of blood, sweat, and tears into making this work. The beneficiary of what we're going to do is most likely going to be our children um, if it comes off the right way. And... I started to think about the the beer business in general, the lack of femininity that gets highlighted. Uh, most most brew pubs are very robust, masculine, muscular names on things, right? And so you, you go with a softer side of like, you know, all right, let's let's bring some sort of femininity to it. And then you go like factory. Uh, Kaz has four young boys that are now uh, 12, 10, eight, and six. And I've got uh, two boys and a daughter, right? So there's one girl, right? So I didn't want to, and I still am adamant about not spoiling any of my, my kids. Um, <laughs> my daughter knows the story behind the name. Uh, it, it comes more from we're working for our families and while acknowledging that there's a female presence that is necessary in the beer world as much as any, as much as it's being named for her. That said, she's clearly the best worker out of anybody in my family as far as <laughs> go. So it's, it's been an apropos sort of name. Does she introduce herself as the lone girl? She does to her friends. Like her friends will put two and two together. Sure. Uh, you know, they're like, wait a minute, your parents 
on loan. So are you the loan girl? And she's like, ah, yeah, kind of. <laughs> and how old is she now? Um, Avery is 12. She's, she'll be turning a precocious 13 in April. So uh, I have two follow-up questions to that. The first one is, which of yours, yours or Kaz's list was the loan girl on? Oh, that's a good question. Thank you. Um, it was on my list. And I, I'm a middle child, which means I try to make everybody happy, which either makes me <laughs> successful or, or insane in this world of, of what we do. I was worried that it was going to be a one-sided sort of name. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and Cos and, and I have worked quite hard, actually, to incorporate his family, his, his boys, his family, my, my boys into the structure of things here. Both of his boys have a beer named after him. Both of my boys have a beer named after him. Things that they're happy about. Uh, I can tell you quite honestly that my boys were disappointed when I came home and announced the name. I would they imagine. Their faces up and said, oh, no. what about the loan boy? And I'm like, well, there's two of you. So right. It doesn't, doesn't work, work as well. <laughs> uh, and then my other question to that is, you mentioned between the two of you, you had 200, 199 other names to choose from. You each followed up and circled 10 of each other's names. What were some other finalists, if you're willing to share, if there were some other ones that really were crept, crept up to the top of the list, but just that long girl kept coming back to you? I think it, it, the one that sticks in my head was Rusted Rail. We're right next to the railroad tracks here, running through Wanakee. And it, it, we ended up using that name as our corporate name, right? So, so our, like our legal tax identification corporation is is the Rusted Rail Incorporated. Okay. And it's a subsidiary of uh, the Lone Girl Brewing Company, LLC, and Wanakee. So we still used a couple of them here and there. Um, there was a lot, if I remember, I can't remember them all off the top of my head. I'm trying to think of the ones that we circled. There, there was, there were things to do with the lumber yard. Um, there were a couple of other family ones. The one that really sticks out is, is the Rusted Rail. Very cool. Well, um, I, on that note, uh, Kevin, I think it is time for us to, to, Drink some some of your beer and and talk about some of them. Uh, what uh what are we drinking first today? Awesome. Well, let, let's go with uh, some of the beers that might be named in honor of the, of, of the kids. Um, Great. And Jonathan mentioned when I saw you earlier picking up beer. Uh, Toehead. Uh, yes. So Toehead, Toehead is it's one of my wife's favorites because I, I think she appreciates that it incorporates a little bit about our boy. Uh, for those that don't know what what the Toehead reference is. It's, it's a, a young boy or girl that has really blonde hair, almost white in, in the summer, right? Believe it or not, nobody can see me on a podcast, but I had really blonde hair as a kid. Oh, wow. <laughs> One of my kids is, you know, his, his hair looks like the froth on a beer in the summer. I, ironically, the brewer... Uh, his one of his boys is definitely a toehead. It lends itself right towards the nature of the beer, which is a, a Belgian blonde. The type of beer itself is is a Belgian single. Not a whole lot of people make a Belgian single. John Russell is our brewer, and and he and I try to make some things that not a lot of other people make. Um, that was one of the first beers that come off the line. He was literally like, nobody makes a Belgian single, so let's give that a shot. And it's been it's been a mainstay now for almost five years. So what is you, you see a lot of Belgian quads. So what's talk, walk us through the I guess behind the scenes difference between a Belgian single and a Belgian quad. Sure. Um, so they're all going to use a Belgian yeast, right? It's going which is going to have some very familiar sort of characteristics to it. You're going to get a little banana uh, kind of on, on the on the the taste profile. The yeast that is used has a very distinctive sort of quality to it. When you get into a Belgian double, triple, or quad, right? It's a, not a linear 
progression, meaning that it's a double strength and a triple strength and a quadruple strength, but it is inherently stronger, both in alcohol content and in flavor profile, the further up that scale you go. There is a bit of a, an irony with a Belgian doubles generally, a single is gonna be blonde and, and, and clear and easy to drink. A, a double is gonna be a little bit, traditionally a little darker. It uses a little bit more caramel and brown malts to it. A triple goes back to the clarity again, even though it's stronger, it goes back to being a, a very clear and crisp beer. And then a quad reverts back to almost a double of the double where it's dark <laughs> again, hugely robust, tons of caramel flavor to it. Yeah, this is definitely an easy drinking one. Uh, the, the clarity is, is almost see-through um, and it, it does have that, that sweetness, that banana-y taste to it. Mm-hmm. It, 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 I was just going to say, it, it's interesting that you, you mentioned the, the banana there um, because the, the Toehead is, is one of my go-tos from Lone Girl. It, it's generally what I fill my growlers with and bring home. I pretty much like anything that's banana flavor. I, I you know, make a lot of things with banana. So it's, that's, that's an interesting co- connection there that I hadn't really thought of before. It's got a banana slash honey flavor to it. We, we, we cook with that beer a lot because those flavors lend themselves well to cooking with. In addition to the fact that it's not a very hoppy beer, right? Um, it's not sitting on a, on a bitter sort of position on your palate. Um, it's more clean and easy drinking. What are your favorite uh, recipes that, that involve the, the Toehead Belgian Blonde food recipes, that is? Most of the time when we're cooking with it, it goes towards chicken. When we're starting to marinate our chicken and cook some of those things. It works well with that. We've done some salad dressings with it uh, as well. We, we do a, one, one of the ones that it's predominantly featured in here is, is a Belgian cheesecake. So it, it's, used, it's used in a cheesecake that we offer on a regular menu here. Again, that banana and honey quality work, work really well with that recipe. Yeah, it. Um, I mentioned Toehead being one of my go-tos, and then you had you, you kind of talked about the, some of the. You you have done some some different quad beers as well, and I believe one of them is is like the, is a, the Belgian quadruple. Um, I think you named it Quadnado. Is that right? Well, Quadnado. Yes. Not all the names come from something specific. So I'll say that we have a Belgian triple called Surprise Threesome. That's not named from any specific reference. <laughs> it was literally- Are you sure there's no uh, history there in anything? I will not uh, deny or admit that any of those things have happened. <laughs> um, Quadnado comes from very specific though. That goes back to causes boys. You got four boys within six years of each other. Uh, you can imagine what that household is like. They're very, very active, very uh, sports-oriented kids. So the damage that can go on in any particular <laughs> household on any particular day is pretty huge. I would um, imagine a quadnado. There you go, right? It was, I think it was around the time Sharknado came out. We were just <laughs> um, drinking beers one night. Like, what are we going to name this quad? I'm, I'm always on my phone taking down names. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a good one. That's a good one. And quadnado came up, and I'm like, and that's the name. That's great. <laughs> Do you, um, are, are there one of your beers that you have, um, that, that you guys have brewed either, you know, past or, or current that has been your favorite? Oh. I know that's kind of like picking a, picking a favorite child too, isn't it? <laughs> it is. our, our brewer references it that same way. It, it's a common question. What's your favorite beer? And it, that's it, the it, follow-up question is which child is your favorite? <laughs> I can't say that I run home to hoppier beers. If I had a favorite, I, and I I'll go in the last 12 months. What's my favorite beer here in the last 12 months? I will take uh, Two Trains, which is our double IPA, and I'll mix it with Summer Lovin', which is one of our better known beers. Go half and half on that, and uh, I get myself in a lot of trouble drinking those (laughs) too quickly. 
Well, I will definitely have to try that uh, with the two trains mixed with the um, Summer Lovin', um, both both beers that I have enjoyed uh, from Lone Girl as well. So you've told us the, the history of your brewery, but how did you actually start brewing beer? So I've not, I, I don't come from a brewing background. My background in the beer business is quite literally buying and selling beer, okay? I spent a lot of time down in Chicago deciding what beers went on draft on the, the limited tap tower that we had. So if we had 12, 12 draft beers, and as the secondary explosion of, of microbrews came around, the first one being in the kind of early 90s, mid-90s, you know, if anybody remembers Pete's Wicked Ale, which is gone, right? Um, but Summit came around at about that time that's still around. You know, Sam Adams obviously starting before that. And then you, you ride this second wave that gained a lot of traction. Let me grab, let me let that phone ring. Sure. We'll keep going. People wanting to know if you're open today. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's that middle child thing, panic. <laughs> yeah, you, you can go get that if you need. <laughs> no. We could, we could put them live on the podcast if you want to answer it. Yeah, just hold go. the phone up yeah. to the speaker. <laughs> All right, there we go. Um, so, you know, we kind of find ourselves in the early 2000s, mid-2000s, in like this secondary wave of, of microbreweries. And clearly it gained and was gaining more traction. Beer was becoming more and more exclusive, number one. Going along with the exclusivity was more and more expensive, quite literally. So you find yourself spending $120 as, as a bar owner on a six barrel of, of beer, you know, that people are, are asking for and whatever. And when we moved up this direction and we're going to start something, I wanted to start making our own beer. Number one, to perhaps bring down the cost of what we would be serving. And then number two, coming from somebody that, that I think did a successful job creating a bit of a brand with a little kind of corner tavern in Chicago. I wanted a brand that I'd be able to pass down to my kids, right? Without having to be there necessarily with their finger on the pulse of doing every single portion of the job every single day. And so the ability to create a brand is tangible. You have to create a product that can not only be sold in this location, but also elsewhere. So, and that doesn't necessarily mean that we have directions of distribution or directions of expansion, but the opportunity is far greater once you have something that you can hang your hat on more than just kind of a name on a sign. Yeah. And you talk a lot about family and, and, and the importance of family definitely seems to be a big part of what, what drives you and, and cause and, and the lone girl and, and you know, really helps drive that passion that you have. What are your favorite aspects of being a part of the, the brewing industry and what keeps you, keeps you going each day? I think it's creating something. If I go back to what I studied in college, which is industrial design, I'll break that down into quite literally tearing something apart, anything, a garage door opener, uh, how to cook a chicken, whatever it is, break it down to its most integral parts and then figuring out how it works. So I love cooking in that aspect. I love, I love the ability to put ingredients together and come up with a product and know how they work together. I love it mechanically, figuring out how things work and whatever else. Even though I've not been a brewer in my life, having input with John to be able to say, here's my ideas. Here, here's here's kind of how I want it to taste. Here's, here's how I want the mouthfeel to be. We've been able to have a really successful relationship. Some of it is John trusts, I think, my instincts on, on, on what, I, what I taste and what I smell and, and what will work. And I've also asked him to, to trust that anything we create has to be sold, sure. right? You can come up with what would be an award-winning beer in very few people's minds. If you can't sell it, it doesn't really become something that, that I'm interested in, right? So the success is, is measured in people enjoying it, sharing it, you know, and, and that sort of thing. You mentioned award-winning beers and, and the opportunity to be able to do that. Have you guys entered any competitions yet? And do you have any medals to hang on any of your beers? 
we have we have no medals to hang our hat on at, at this point. Uh, we have entered competitions. We've sent beer off to the Great American Beer Festival the last three years. We've gotten some feedback. Uh, it, it's funny how those come about, right? It, it, at least what you get back from people. You get back that you didn't win, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, you know, the, the whole judging aspect is fairly clandestine. You don't really know what, what people are looking for. I think John and I try to enter some beers like, like the Toehead. Who's in the belt and single category, right? If, if I enter off the rails, I'm going to be up against a whole lot of IPA, everything from throughout the world. So, so we try to use some of what we do that's a little bit different. My theory on, on selling and serving beer is I want it to be drinkable. I want people in a salesman aspect to enjoy what they're drinking, but not have it so big and so rich and so overpowering on your palate, whether it be too heavy in IBUs or too heavy in alcohol content or whatever it might be. I want people to crave another sip, right? That creates another sale. That's the business side of things, right? And so John and I are very careful about what, what we try to do. And there's sometimes we blow past it, right? We, we, we did Pirate Walks Into a Bar. It's an imperial uh, bourbon, I'm sorry, an imperial stout that's aged in a rum barrel. Overwhelmingly delicious, but I dare you to drink more than a glass. You know, no, like, no. It, it, it's so much. Well, we're sitting here uh, sipping some of Lone Girl's um, delicious beers, and the only thing that maybe would make this podcast even better would be some of Lone Girl's spinach and artichoke dip, which um, I think I go through at least a couple orders anytime I'm there um, or getting takeout from Lone Girl. But you guys have have a lot of really delicious uh, food items as well. A brew pub serving food. Nachos are amazing. The Havana Heat is another one of my favorites. And you also put out a, a really well-known and popular Friday fish fry. Yeah, we, we've, uh, I'll put that squarely in the corner of my wife, who was just like, we are going to nail a fish fry. We live in the state of Wisconsin now. This is like a religion. The, 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 kind of the background story on our kitchen is we erroneously thought that we would be a brewery with a, kind of a small kitchen. We opened up with 15 items on the menu that were heavy appetizer oriented, no kids menu. And it was a, it was a misread on the market um, as much as we we thought we saw what Wanakee would want we never realized how much they they wanted and needed us to be a restaurant as much as as, as we are i liken it to, to when i talk to people about different business theories and whatever else like and you can get lost in your own planning in some capacities where i'm going to open the best blues club on this corner in this location no matter what it's going to be the best thing in the world and somebody walks in and it's like you know what this place needs a taqueria. <laughs> and I know it's an extreme ludicrous example, right? But they might be right. And you might be the best blues club that went out of business on that corner if you don't kind of listen to what the public wants and make yourself into what they're expecting. So we had to switch gears rather quickly with some challenges on our part. You know, we didn't design this place to put out food for 300 people. And on any given Friday, we've got to put out food to almost 300 people. So that's a great thing, but it, it, it's, been, it's been interesting how it happened. So going back to what you mentioned about the fish fry, we didn't start our fish fry until about eight months after we opened. And for us, it became like, a, okay, number one, this is necessary. And number two, we're not going to do this until it's absolutely nailed. We're very proud of our fish fry. Um, we worked on it a ton before anything got released. It is not gluten-free uh, <laughs> <laughs> at all. All of our beer is is soaked in beer, and that's that's true with a lot of our cooking. So when we when we realized like we have to be heavier on the kitchen side of things than necessary, we just wanted to drag the brewery into it as much as possible. 
So we have a Reuben, you know, that's cooked 12, all the corned beef is cooked, slowly cooked in beer for 12 hours. We have pulled pork sandwiches and things that are used. You mentioned the Havana heat, that's cooked in beer for 12 hours. We've got all of our fish that's brined in, in beer for 24 hours before we cook it. Again, when people ask if they can get it gluten-free, the answer is no, I'm sorry. It, it, no, I'm gonna run home to being a brewery and we cook with a ton of beer, but I, it, it, it lends itself well to what we're doing. So you mentioned being what people need and, and kind of what they're looking for, otherwise you won't survive. And I know we're, we're trying to think long-term big picture here, but, but we gotta talk about the, the pandemic a little bit because that's kind of what we're at. Uh, you guys just opened some stuff on your rooftop that will really help people still be outside and and feel safe. So talk about what, what you guys are doing in your brewery on the rooftop for the winter time to, to still be outside. Sure. So we're, right now, I, the rooftop was a draw, particularly during pandemic times. Being outside is is equivalent to being more safe, right? So we were able to to do decently well. I, people would say, like, you guys are busy. And I'm like, yeah, I'm busy still less than half of what we normally do. So let's be realistic about what's busy. We're as busy as we can be, and I I love the support, and thank you so much for it. How do we keep that going through the winter? And it has been spin the wheel of ideas around here since March, and that's 100% Mm -hmm. true. Some of them work, some of them don't. Turning our parking lot into a drive-through was was interesting. It took about three weeks. Uh, The first week, maybe second week, we got a call from the police that said, you have to stop what you're doing because there was a line out on the main street that was – that was quote unquote blocking traffic. <laughs> you know what they say about popularity? It's a curse, right? Uh, yes, yes. Um, so yeah, we made some adjustments to make that work and, and I physically couldn't keep running back and forth to cars that were lined up down to Quick Trip, which <laughs> for those that don't know us is a football field away, right? It's, I was running laps. Um, so what's your 40 yard dash time? Um, it was uh, 4.4. <laughs> <laughs> if I wasn't so busy, I'd try out for the Packers. <laughs> <There you> <laughs> But uh, now to bring it back to now, and so we hit cold weather times and the igloo thing that started last year with a lot of places as, as an extension of their outdoor now became necessary, right? Where it was just like, okay, we're, we're going to need to do this and how are we going to do it? Um, I can be honest, we, we labored over it slightly. We're, it's not the greatest time to put money towards capital investment. You know, um, putting an igloo on the roof is not a hundred dollar mm-hmm. transition. You know, it, it's transaction i should say it's you're you're talking about if you're going to put multiples of the, of them up there you're about fifteen hundred dollars all in for each one how are you going to make it work is it worth it we bought two we labored over it for a couple of weeks we bought two once we started seeing that if we didn't act on it quickly they were going to be gone <laughs> and then it was going to be a point we got two and then we had 13 reservations in the first week so wow. <laughs> we quickly bought a third one and we're getting ready to assemble that very soon. And it has been working well. It's, it's, it's a very interesting novelty for people to just have their own little bubble of space, quite literally, spend their time hopefully drinking good lone yeah. girl beer. And you've got a fire pit up there too. Yeah, the ambiance of it helps. You know, the fire pit was there for the summer and okay, nobody's sitting next to it. But if you're in an igloo that's next to it, it's a couple of Christmas trees. And the the one night that we had it booked, it snowed a bunch, right? A couple of weeks ago. And it it was literally like a snow globe up there. I think that was the best possible experience for people. Tons of compliments. I took lots of photos on (laughs) that one. But yes, it's it's been working well. And and I should say we're incredibly thankful through all of our ideas that, that people are supporting us as much as they are. People are supporting you because I think craft breweries are obviously super popular right now. They've, they've really exploded in the, fast, in the past few years. Is there anything you see looking forward when, you know, when, when life is 
quote unquote back to normal that that is really a an emerging trend in the craft brewing industry and something that you guys are really excited to to really jump on board and, and get behind as a member of that that craft beer industry i think that the craft brewery industry is going to contract itself a little bit i mentioned earlier you kind of have a fork in the road when you, when you open a brewery brew pub whatever it is do you want to be a distribution model sort of brewery or do you want to be more of a, a brew pub individualistic sort of thing i'm more of a people person i want to touch tables when i get a chance i want to visit with people i want to ask them about their beers you don't get that same opportunity necessarily when you're on a store shelf at a, at a, at a woodman's and it's not a slight by the way on anybody that that has that business model it just doesn't fit my mentality and therefore our mentality being in this pandemic specifically has taught me we are a very much a part of the Wanakee community. It's something that we set out to do early was how, how do I shake the kind of uh, perception that I'm this guy from Chicago that, that you know moved up here to start this thing? I'm not the guy from Chicago. I'm the guy that lives here. I'm the guy that's been living here for 10 years. I'm the guy that's invested in this community. I would really like the term Wanakee to be synonymous with Lone Girl, okay? Moving forward, what does that mean? I might want Lone Girl to be synonymous with another small set of towns, right? Uh, that we can invigorate that sort of trend going forward. I think what we've seen in the market slightly before the pandemic was, a, was maybe an oversaturation in the distribution market. It becomes difficult to go to a store when you're on a brewery level and, and how do you get shelf space? How do you differentiate yourself from one brewery to the next to stand out from somebody to the next. Um, it can be done a lot of different ways. It can be done through marketing and advertising. It can be done from being the biggest person on the block. It can be from offering the most beers. It can be from offering the least amount of beers, ironically, right? You can use the mentality, we only let go of so much at so in a certain amount of time. I like the personal connectivity. And I think moving forward, we look to expand on what we've done here. And I don't know if it necessarily means taking an exact replica of this lone girl, but I think it means finding a location where we can make an impact with that community, whether it's a brew pub, whether it's a tap room, whether it's a whatever, but some sort of extension of a community-based organization as we are right now. And so, Kevin, you talk about being a part of that Wanakee community, and the Lone Girl has become a part of, of Wanakee and a part of that community, and, and you do that through, through giving back as well. So tell us about um, what you do with your, your fish fry Friday nights and, and your involvement and connection to community organizations. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a few different things that, that we've done. And um, recently, you know, during this pandemic, I, I've gone to some of my friends and said like, hey, so how can we incorporate, you know, we work with the schools a whole lot, right? Which, which means that we end up working with their, their sports programs a whole lot, which, which end up, you know, relying upon local businesses to help kind of fund some of some of their organizational efforts, whether it be uniforms or tournament fees and whatever else it is, right? All of, all of those organizations need some help with those things. Before the pandemic, we were involved in helping raise money for a lot of those things. Then we enter the pandemic and there's a realistic view on things like, well, I need help, but those organizations also still need help. So I went to some of their founding members and, and, and people in charge and said, hey, the one thing that we've still got going for us is we call it our weekly Super Bowl is the Friday fish fry. And we literally talk about not losing the Super Bowl on a <laughs> weekly basis. How can we help others? Here's where I really felt and, and realized how much of a part of the community that we had become was the people that I had gone to and said, like, I'm willing to share a percentage of our biggest day to help raise money for some of these organizations. 
they literally looked at me and said, you are not in a position to give up any of your, your revenue at this point. Let's take your idea and expand it out to other business organizations that have the capacity and wherewithal to sponsor what I would normally be sharing. All right. So if, it, if it's a 10% give back on our fish fry on a Friday that goes towards the lacrosse team, we have a business owner who's willing to say, I know that this business, American Family, will sponsor that. And that person's individual agency with American family will sponsor it on our behalf, give money. It was honestly, there's a couple of different instances like that during this pandemic where I was like, wow, okay. Um, I am no longer the, the person from Chicago. <laughs> I, I, I have somehow made it to be a person from Wanakee that's heavily accepted into this community and very, very happy about that. That's wonderful. You know, speaking of Wanaki, uh, I mentioned it at my first question, but I want to hear from you and what it means. What does your welcome sign into Wanaki say, and what does that mean to you? What is my welcome sign or the no, sign that we drew? The, the, the Wanaki welcome sign. Oh, the what's, Wanaki what's the, what's the motto? Sign. Yes, it says, welcome to the only Wanaki in the world. I like that moniker to be, or that, that phrase to be, not that far away. <laughs> <laughs> because we have a whole pool of people that are not that far away from Wanakee yeah. that we're trying to draw from. But yeah, it's, it's got to be a cool feeling to be in the only Wanakee in the world. So Lone Girl, Lone Girl Brewing and the only Wanakee in the world. Well, and right now, the, the only Lone Girl in the world and the only Wanakee in the world. So there you go. Fantastic. And, and speaking of Lone Girl, let's, uh, let's pour another round of Lone Girl beer. What do we got here, Kevin? I'd like to, to try orange pop okay i think that i left that for you guys one of our most popular beers on an annual sales basis is called summer Lovin'. it's a mango wheat beer ironic that that's one of my favorite beers because i really don't like wheat beers in general that one has gone really well not only for my palate but uh most people tend to like it it's an easy drinking summer sort of beer people have asked us to make it year round and here's where you fall in the trap of naming something <laughs> It's hard to convince people to drink something called Summer Lovin' in December, sure. right? Um, so we, re a couple of months ago, started working on, on a, a recipe project to have an, kind of an offset of that. And uh, we came up with Orange Pop. On a design level, I love it. We, we've been doing more and more canning, which means I'm doing more and more design on, on labels and, and things of that nature. Orange Pop is designed to look exactly like a popsicle mm -hmm. label, but walking through the frozen aisle and you see the popsicle box, bright yellow with the polka dots all around it and things. It's got a little bit more bite to it than, than what Summer Lovin' has, meaning it's slightly more bitter on the end. I think that's more fitting towards what you expect in the winter, just a little bit more of a robust beer on your palate. Yeah, it's a fun one. And it, and it definitely tastes like an orange dreamsicle. Yeah, yeah. it's a good one. I've been... Uh, pulling some Santa beer fairy things as we released this literally just came out on Thursday and I've been sprinkling some around town to friends and leaving it on their doorstep and getting the reviews. So <laughs> Great. And, and so it's like the best Santa Claus around. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. And, and orange pop. So you mentioned is, is a, is a newer beer. Um, you've also got another um, new beer that just released um, Foxy lady. So those um, are those two ones that you're, you're hoping to kind of hang around for a while. Um, they were just released. I believe you said last week. Yes. Uh, Foxy lady came out two weeks ago. Orange pop came out last week. Foxy Ladies definitely a, a, a very winter sort of beer. It's going to be our winter seasonal. I think it's good enough to be repeated over the next several years. That's going to be a one batch beer for us, meaning we're going to make 10 barrels of it and we're going to sell it for as long as we can. 
about half of that goes ends and half of it is on draft here at Lone Girl. Orange Pop is probably a two batch beer for us to bridge the gap to get us into summer loving season. So you mentioned uh, playing around with the, the canning labels and the artwork there. Do you, do you work with a, a local artist or is that done by your creative brains in-house? How do you come up with the, the artwork that matches the names? Does one drive the other? We, we generally come up with the name first and then my brain will start working itself through some ideas on what the label would look like. I take mental notes. I take computer notes. I, I just, even if it's scratching something out on a on a napkin and things like that. My hand skills of drawing have deteriorated over the years because I don't practice them enough. Um, or you've been drinking too much beer before you draw? Well, well yeah, I should have more beer before I draw. <laughs> my, my mind still works well in that design atmosphere and I kind of know how we want things to look. There's a theme behind all of our beers. You know, certain people work really kind of detailed and, uh, on their labels. Ours are fairly simple fairly two-dimensional. We, we work in that realm. I think that appeal, appeals, if, we, if, if and when we do get on some store shelves, that it kind of pops off. person that I deal with, his name's Caleb Meske. He's got the computer skills specifically with Adobe Illustrator as a program that we work with. He can make happen what's in my brain. You know, So over the course of about two, three hours, we can sit down and, and bang out the label that, that I have in my, in my brain. And then the, the naming, is, I, I know you mentioned family. Where do you come up with the recipes though? The recipes kind of rest in John's world. John, uh, again, John, John Russell is our brewer. So a little background on John. John, full full-time job or, or second full-time <laughs> job is he runs a research lab at the University of Wisconsin. His brain works in numbers and processes and procedures and all of that. He's been homebrewing for 20 years, which is how I met him. I met him when he had a birthday party and he made all of his own beer. My wife told me before we went to the party, hey, this person has all of their own beer that they made. In my lifetime, deciding on what sort of beer to sell and not sell, I've had a whole lot of people tell me that they make beer, and I've had to taste a whole lot of bad beer and kind of grit <laughs> through it and smile and say that, that it's awesome. In the guise of saying, don't, I don't want them to stop coming to my place to buy beer. Um, it's kind of like when you're in college, right? And, and you got a roommate, and he's in a, an improv show, and you go to the show, and they say to you later, what did you think of the show? And you're like, ah, oh, it was great. When in reality, like you could never get that time back in your entire no. life. <laughs> when I met John, I knew he made all of his own beer. I was kind of a snot. I showed up with my own beer to his homebrew party. <laughs> I explained why. He understood why. We all had a few different beers. He told me, F you, try my beer. <laughs> oh, no. I said I was going to be blatantly like honest about the beer, whether I thought it was because my palate is based on can I sell beer or not. Like it's quite literally how my palate works. And he made six beers and I could sell three of them. Right. So I was like, this is tremendous. Go 10 years forward. And I'm like, hey, what do you think about making beer for Lone Girl? Because I trusted him so much. Right. So back to what you had originally asked about. So what comes first, the name, the recipe, whatever else it is, the recipe definitely comes first. John and I talk each week and he'll have an idea. I'll have an idea, whatever it is. And then he'll start whatever the idea is, he'll start to chemically put it together. One of the best investments we made here was in the last 18 months, we bought a pilot system so that we can make beer a little bit grander than what he can do at home on a homebrew sort of schedule. We can make a beer here as small as two kegs of beer at a time. That's a one barrel system, okay? We get to try out some recipes now, and if we fail at it, we're out like 100 or 200 bucks in, in materials, and who cares? So he gets to experiment a little bit more before we kind of release an entire new line of beers. That's worked very well for us. And, and Foxy Lady is, is, is definitely one of them. Orange Pop is one of them where we get to test it, 
make some incremental changes and uh, and then go full bore with it so the the foxy lady talks about a uh, a gorgeous ginger who's spicy and sexy is uh that uh named for someone in particular there there is there's nobody that's named for in particular, but every single woman that has a red tint to their hair thinks that that beer is named <laughs> for them. You just say, yes, it is. <laughs> good, se- good selling ploy for sure. <laughs> right. And so, Kevin, you, you mentioned that um, you know, a lot of, some of your beers are named for you know, whether it's your boys or Kaz's um, kids as well. What are some of those other beer names that, that have a story like that behind them or someone that that name inspiration came from? We talked about Quadnado and Toehead. Sure. Uh, and they come from everywhere. They, their family situations, their, uh, you know, I was working a drive through during the pandemic selling beer and somebody that I was on the phone with talked to me about driving into Chicago and there was nobody on the highway and it was like an Armageddon <laughs> highway. I immediately took my phone out and I typed in Armageddon Highway on my list. And we just named one of our bourbon barrel beers Armageddon Highway. And I love it. Um, so they, they literally come from everywhere. Speakeasy Light. Speakeasy, it started as Speakeasy. And it turned out that we needed to make it lighter because people that wanted to come in and have Miller Light or Bud Light or Coors Light, which we don't sell, needed a lighter profile beer. So Speakeasy is named for the, it's actually the name of the brick that the building, our section of building is named out of. Um, I can go back. We were involved with like literally how they built everything and they held up four different bricks. Like, what do you think? What do you want to do? And like, this one's called Speakeasy. And I'm like, I love that. Let's <laughs> go with that. We named the beer after it. Yes, please comes from me sitting down at the end of whatever long day I have. And I sit up at the bar and I go, okay. And the bartender would say like, would you like a beer? And I'd say, <laughs> yes, please. Well, now there's a beer called yes, please. You know? Different things like that. Dark Hondo comes from one of John's best friends, who's a super smart, semi-normal person in his daytime life. And if you give him a couple of too many beers, he turns into Dark Hondo. (laughs) And he's super strange and weird. And, you know, you just take notes on life and then name beers after them. And it brings back memories, which is super fun. Is is Double Trouble uh, come from the twins? Double Trouble comes from my twins. Absolutely. They were happy about that. <laughs> we came out with that in our first year. This was the first time that we canned it, which means I got to come up with the logo. And it's two kids with pumpkins for heads that are like punching <laughs> each other and wrestling. So that that helped after uh, you named the brewery the Lone Girl. They at least got a beer named for them. Absolutely, yes. So, Kevin, before we do go, we want to know um, from you, if you're not drinking Lone Girl beer, what is it that you're drinking? Not drinking Lone Girl beer? What am I drinking? I, at this point in my life, I tend to go home and run home to, to other breweries and people that I know that I want to support. I'm always up for trying new things. If I see something on a shelf that I haven't tried, I'm going to grab that and try it. But if I'm out at a bar and I, I, I'm going to pick something, I'll go towards Carbon 4, who are great friends of ours. But I love the support because they support us so much. I go to Central Waters, who, who have also been very good to us when we visit up there each year. Going back to Chicago, I'll grab a half acre. was super fun to see when that came up to Chicago. People whose names I can kind of relate and, and grab memories from, for sure. You know, speaking of Chicago, do you ever jump back and get yourself a bottle of Malort? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I haven't had it in really a long time. Um, that's like the, the hipster Jägermeister, right? It's, it's horribly delicious. Oh. Oh, Thank man. you. Yeah, I'm here. Uh... Cameron's going to love you forever. 
I grew up in the Chicagoland area and I introduced anyone I can to Malort and Jonathan was just one of my lucky guys that got to got to experience that as well. Yes, yes. You'll never forget it once <laughs> no, you've tried it. It is for sure. Uh, but <laughs> so thank you for that. But but on a more serious question, uh, I believe uh, it was in your your history on your website or your bio that that you and Kaz also enjoyed uh, plenty of whiskey together. So you're you're kind of a whiskey guy as well. I'm not as much of a whiskey person. Kaz is a is a definite whiskey person. I, I probably live that life through him more than not. I'll bring the beer and he'll bring the whiskey, and and generally one leads to the next, <laughs> which leads to a rough, a rough morning. Um, I'm a lighter whiskey person in, in terms of bourbon. I'll, I'll go Basil Hayden, you know, before I go uh, heavy Knob Creek or something like that, right? I have, again, talking about people that we know and, and, and have, have gotten to know quite well that we work with, Jay Henry has been a wonderful partner for us. Almost all of our, our barrel-aged beer is in Jay Henry barrels. And, and they're Jay, kind of- Just for those that, that don't know that, Jay Henry is just the, the distillery that's not too far up the road from you. Yeah, absolutely. It's 10 minutes north of here up in Dane, and, and they're great. I mean, they're really nice people. Uh, grew up farming corn. And then a little bit later in life, when some people would retire, they decided to take their corn <laughs> and turn it into bourbon. Super fun stuff. But I, I, I do enjoy theirs quite a bit. Yeah, and Jay, Jay Henry is is a super smooth bourbon. Um, big fan of that as well. And and that seems to be kind of a, a bit of, I don't I don't know if you want to call it a craze or something that's starting to to really been up and coming in the both the brewing and the distilling industry is those are those barrel swaps. Absolutely. It, it, in my mind, a barrel should never die. Right. We should get a barrel from Jay Henry and put beer in it. And then somebody else, like a maple syrup place, should take it and put maple syrup in it and, and sell that. And then I want it back because I want to put my stout in a maple syrup bourbon barrel that comes back to us. And most of our barrels here, they don't die necessarily. I end up either giving or selling them. Let's not go with the giving part because then my, my door will be banged, <laughs> banged down with people that want to come get a barrel. I've sold them to people around here. Some of them, like one of them, turned it into a smoker, oh, wow. which sounds crazy that you're smoking meat with a fire in, in yeah. a wood vessel. People use them for furniture. We, we've yet to find, and I'd love it, somebody listening to this podcast, if somebody wants then to take our barrel and use it for something and then agree to give it back so we could use it again, that would be spectacular. Yeah, and that's, that's for sure. No, no matter what they would use it for, it would be a, a fantastic flavor profile, whichever way it goes back and forth to you. So that'd be That'd be super awesome. When you get your maple barrel back, maybe we'll bring you on for a, a second round here. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Uh, what is the best way, Kevin, for people to, to support small breweries like yourselves and, and to, to support Lone Girl specifically? And where can they find your beer? Distribution comes out of the back of my truck. So that is currently at Alpine Liquors in DeForest, at Neil's Liquor in Wanakee, and at Cascade Mountain up in Baraboo. Outside of that, coming to Lone Girl to buy our beer, whether it be a growler that's going to be fresh off the tap or one of our 10 different varieties that we have in cans now. For those people that want to literally just drive by, not get out of their car, you can call ahead, order your beer. We'll meet you in the, in, in the driveway, deliver it to your car, no contact necessary, and uh, we love the support. And one, one thing that I want to bring up as well, it's, it's, it's kind of like a gift certificate, gift card kind of thing, but it's your beer at forward system. Talk about that a little bit. I think that's a cool concept. It's, it's not a unique system. Everything in this world is borrowed. There's very few things that, that are invented, right? 
this this comes from another brewery that I that I saw on the wall. They had a beer at forward board, and I'm like, that's a great idea. So we have one on the wall inside here where you can just ask the bartender for six dollars that you pay the person that can come in and get any beer that we have on draft if their name is on that board. So it, it behooves you to walk into Lone Girl and look at the board, which is in public view for everybody to see and be like, my name's on there. Awesome. Even better if the person that bought it for you takes the picture and sends it to you, because then you really know for it. So for all of those listening in Wanaki, Cameron <laughs> Teske and Jonathan Eckelberg. There we go. The next iteration is to put a board outside, because I, I, I do think that we're going to continue to live in this curbside drive through world for a while yet. So let's take the beer forward to the next level, and it'll be six it forward, where you can get a six-pack and put somebody's name on it. And all you got to do is drive up and see your name on that list and to get it crossed off and leave with a delicious six pack of Lone Girl beer. That's great. And, and Kevin, you guys have, um, have a lot of mer- uh, merchandise and apparel at, at Lone Girl as well. Cameron's sporting your, your pink, the Lone Girl um, shirt today. And, and the, my Lone Girl hat, I actually won at uh, Virtual Bingo um, during this whole uh, nice. pandemic and um, is my favorite hat that I wear everywhere. So tell us where we can, where people can get some of your merchandise as well. Well, you can go online to our website. All of our merchandise is available there. On the top, you'll see a bunch of different headings. Next to the igloos, you can click on the store. Once you go into the store, pick the merchandise that you like. You can buy it and pick it up here. You can buy it, and for a nominal fee, we'll ship it anywhere that you want. It also falls back into my design sort of background. I really like designing the logos that go on the T-shirts. I really like working with a local company here in town called Trending Now, making sure that the products that we choose that things are being printed on are super soft and something that you want to wear. There's nothing worse than getting a a t-shirt that's, you know, kind of crinkly and rough and whatever else. Like I want it to be your favorite shirt of all time. So Uh, I will, I will testify to that. This is one of the most comfortable shirts that I own. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for being with us today on Pour Another Round. For all of our listeners, make sure you head to The Lone Girl in Wanakee, Wisconsin for dine-in, carry-out, um, or host your next event in that up door, um, upstairs event space. You guys have a beautiful event space as well. Fun fact, I'm actually um, I am marrying a couple um, in next June um, at The Lone Girl um, in your event space. Um, some friends are getting married there, and uh, I am uh, I became ordained for this wedding so but make sure that that you stop in say hi to kevin um, next time you're there and uh, kevin really appreciate you joining us so until next time peace out thanks guys cool thanks a lot kevin for uh, for joining us and it was, it was great meeting you uh, virtually likewise guys let's get on the rooftop together when we get a chance okay that sounds great thank you so much kevin you take care you too guys thanks thanks for listening to this episode of for another round Be sure to follow us on your favorite social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, at Pour Another Round. We'll be sharing news and information from breweries that are friends of the show. You can find out what we're drinking and hear about upcoming featured breweries. Until next time, be sure to pour yourself another round.